Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. I'm so excited to tell you that today's guest is with the amazing Richard E. Grant, who I first fell in love with in Spice World, the movie, in the 90s. I absolutely love that movie and I know that I should probably say that I know him from some of his other works, but that is the film I grew up on and watched a billion times, so it was so exciting to meet him. Rich D. Grant is obviously a very well-known actor. He's probably best known for his roles in Gosford Park, With Nail and I, Hudson Hawk, and obviously my personal fave, Spice World the Movie. He's worked with some of the greatest American directors like Robert Altman and Martin Scorsese, among many others. He will also appear in Star Wars this year in a currently undisclosed part. But in this episode, we talk about his role in the brilliant film, Can You Ever Forgive Me? A role that has earned him an Oscar nomination, a BAFTA, Golden Globe and Screen Actors Guild Award nomination, as well as winning a New York Film Critics Circle Award. He is absolutely fantastic in this role as Jack Hock, the friend to Lee Israel, who the film centres around. I also recommend picking up a copy of the book, also called Can You Ever Forgive Me? Memoirs of a Literary Forger. It's a really great read. It's not very long and you'll probably want to pick up a copy after seeing the film to find out more about Lee Israel. She's such a fascinating character and person. In the film, it centres around Lee Israel's career. She was a biographer. She wrote books about Estee Lauder, Catherine Hepburn and lots of other kind of big names. But she falls on hard times. Her literary agent doesn't really come to her with much work. And she's really struggling for money. And it's, I don't want to spoil anything, but she basically starts faking letters from well-known authors. And some of those letters were included in their official biographies years later. And some of them, it took years to realise that they were fake. So it's a film about FBI investigations and a quite unlikable central character, which I loved. She's quite mean and she drinks a lot and she's rude and she's very outspoken and I just I actually really warmed to her by the end. Richie Grant plays her friend Jack Hock and they have a very complex relationship and the two of them work together in the film and it's a really interesting dynamic. I won't say any more about the film but I hope you really enjoy this episode talking about it. I hope you go and see the film and maybe even read the book. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do go and leave me a rating or a review on iTunes. It's super helpful. And before the interview, here is a short clip from the film. Thanks to Fox Searchlight. I hope you enjoy it and I hope it gives you a taster of the film. It's Jack Hawk. Last time I saw you, thank you, we were both pleasantly pissed at some horrible book party. Am I right? Slowly flooding back to me. You're friends with um, Julia Steinberg? Yeah. She's not an agent anymore. She died. She did? Jesus, that's young. Maybe she didn't die. Maybe she just moved back to the suburbs. I was confused those two. No, that's right. She got married and had twins. Better to have died. Indeed. just come from having my teeth bleached. How do they look? Why would you do that? Oh, teeth are a dead giveaway. Okay. Do I buy you a drink? Even though you are the posh writer. Thank you. Craigie, yeah. top her up. 
I've been so excited all day. So thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a um, pleasure. Such an incredible film. I'm obsessed with books and bookshops and writing. And it was so funny, but also very, very touching. Thank I just you. wondered if you could talk a little bit about the friendship that you have with your character, Jack Hawk and Melissa McCarthy's character. It's a complicated friendship, isn't it? Well, I think that, that what the film really does so well is that you go via these two characters, this very misanthropic, prickly, porcupine-like character um, who's this biographer, Lee Israel, that Melissa McCarthy plays so extraordinarily well, um, and her friendship, unlikely friendship, with a real grifter, coke-dealing, petty thief called Jack Hock, who she meets in a bar, and they form this sort of oddball, platonic interdependent relationship and I think what it does is the A to Z of friendship with all its vicissitudes in that at the beginning you see the the kind of falling in love part of becoming a friend with somebody the loyalty that follows and then the almost inevitable betrayal and in this case the poignancy of the reconciliation because you discover at the end of the story that Jack Hawk, who I play is HIV positive and they're never going to see each other again mm. when she has to ask his permission to write the story of their fraudulent criminal life together um, if you're not married to somebody who you're blood related to them or in a civil partnership uh, friendships you know we, we all have them and you can very easily take them for granted and they may seem very strong but they're also fragile and I think the film really deals with the nature of friendship in, mm. in, a, in a very honest way yeah because friendship breakups can be heartbreaking yeah brutal. I feel like people don't talk about that as much as romantic exactly splits some of the scenes that really got me, the bit where Lee Israel goes to her agent and suddenly she's a no one again and yeah. she, she's used to having book advances and people respecting her. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's a big message of this film, just like the fickle nature of the industry and actually we've all almost can't get complacent and we always have to try and be relevant? I found that really sad in a way. Yes, and I also think it's it deals with ageism, that you that unless you are a famous person in your own right as a writer you you can't really have success because nobody unless you're a celebrity writer who's going to buy you mm -hmm. if you're just the name if you're in in Lee Israel's case she was self-effacing in that she wrote biographies very successfully of other people but it wasn't Lee Israel's um, biography of Tallulah Bankhead or Estee Lauder it was the name of the the biography of whom it was about was the predominant one on the cover and her, mm. her name was you know small so I think that is to do with the, that cusp changeover moment when celebrity around writers happened because I can remember in the 70s uh, being very struck by the fact that a new biography of Marilyn Monroe came out and it was Norman Mailer's Marilyn and his name was bigger than hers, from what I remember. And I thought, well, you know, okay, I don't really give a toss about Norman Mailer, but I was interested to read about Marilyn Monroe's life. But that was the thing. So it was a famous person writing about another famous mm -hmm. person, and that was the antithesis of what Lee Israel wanted to do. And I think that for, for many writers, it's, it's a real trial for them. And the writers that I do know and have met at literary festivals, they find all the publicity part because you spend so much of your life working in a solitary way because of the nature of writing that to suddenly have to go and be a performing pony and sell the stuff is it's part and parcel of what an actor has to do but for a writer it's 
you know, it's kind of against the grain. Mm, it's like two extremes. Yeah. It's very poignant, I think, especially in this world where people want social media followers and recognition and actually sometimes the art behind it should be respected more. Yeah. And I thought it was just really amazing, that message. Well, it's interesting that, that Lee Israel would not have operated successfully in social media terms because she was so misanthropic, couldn't give a toss about other people's opinions. And so in this era that you've just mentioned where people are judged by how many followers they've got or how many friends they've got on Facebook or any of these things not giving a toss about that is makes you you know a kind of social pariah to some extent yeah it's weirdly inspiring though yeah I want to be more like her to be honest <laughs> um I read somewhere that you had gone from two extremes with being on Logan surrounded by so many men and yeah. then on this film so many women uh-huh. was that fun it was in that the the Logan thing, which I enjoyed hugely, but it was testosto testosterized more than anything because it was so male dominant, from the size of the trucks to the armor to the machines that were being used and the guns and the size of the stuntmen's arms were bigger than my you know, legs put together. <laughs> um, so all that was going on, and then you you go to a, the the world of can you ever forgive me, which was very intimate. There were never m- more than two or three people in any scenes. People having talking to each other, and it's a kind of road movie in the in the bookshops and bars of New York, circa you know nineteen ninety one. And the bookshops were real. They the were real the real ones. thing. Yeah. So they, yeah, there were no sets. Everything was you know absolutely the real McCoy. So you felt that you were authentically walking in the footsteps of where these real people lived and operated, which was you know and a great boost and a bonus to have as an actor because you feel that somehow you're you're ghosting through the lives that you're honoring on film mm, i'm so glad that those bookshops are still around yeah but they're fast disappearing yeah yeah there's nothing quite like it so magical the smell of them is absolutely hypnotic can we talk about your oscar nomination yes oh my god so do you obviously you don't know when you're signing up to a film but how much of a shock is it or do you kind of know wow this this is a good role and this is a good film and no, I feel like I've shot. nailed it. I'm 61 <laughs> and I've never been nominated or awarded anything. So to have, you know, I've now won 21 Critics Awards across America, Canada and the UK and now be nominated for the Screen Actors Guild, the Golden Globes and now the BAFTAs and now the Oscar. It's, if you've gone from having never had any to having nominations for all of these big ones is beyond anything that I could possibly have imagined. I, you know, you know when, it, when it started happening, I thought, oh, this is happening to somebody else. They've got the wrong name. So wow. it is, I am not cynical about it. I'm just absolutely <laughs> flabbergasted. And the video you posted, I saw on Twitter of your reaction. <laughs> With the shooting of the film, it, it was only 28 days, I read, or mm-hmm. 26 days? Yes, it was. Um, was it just continuously kind of intense for that amount of time? Because there were never more than two or three people in a scene, it makes it much easier because there are no car chases, there are no special effects, you're not dealing in a studio or... There's a limit to how much you can shoot of a story like this. So we never... Mariel Heller, our absolutely wonderful director, was so collaborative and caring and nurturing and just the best mensch of a person that you could hope to work with. She wears her authority so lightly, but you, of course, know exactly who's in charge. But we, uh, Melissa and I have talked about this a lot. We never, ever felt rushed or pressurized that, which are all the usual constraints on movies where you're fighting the daylight or the budget or schedule or whatever. And on this thing, we we always felt that 
the right amount of time was given to do the scene to the best of our ability. And that, that was a unique feeling. Mm. And that's all down to Marielle Heller and a brilliant first AD. And had you met Melissa McCarthy before? No, I never met any of them before. I met wow. uh, exactly a year ago on Wednesday, the 20th of January t- 2017, I met Marielle Heller and she said, I said, so are we rehearsing this afternoon with Melissa? And she said, no, no she's only coming on Friday. And I said, what do you mean? She said, we had a costume and makeup test. You won't meet her till you start working on Monday morning. And I said, no, this is not possible. You, I beg you, please, can I at least just have half an hour with her? Anyway, Melissa had the exact same impulse. And we met for two hours on a Friday. And then we started shooting on the Monday. And our viewpoint of what these characters are and were and way into the story in the film was exactly on the same page as it were. And we had an instant within five nanoseconds kind of bond and mm. understanding of each other so from which our friendship developed at great speed and therefore affected how we portrayed the, f- the friendship on screen but it was instantaneous wow because there's such a chemistry between you yeah i agree such an intimate friendship and yeah it's it's incredible it's like you've known each other for years yeah with the character i know that you've mentioned before that you had to kind of make it your own a bit because actually there's not much around about jack cock i tried googling Very him little, and actually nothing. i couldn't find anything no photographs not anything but what I found so interesting, and I, this isn't a spoiler, but in the last scene, she asks really emotionally, can I include you in the book? And mm-hmm. it's really touching. Uh, apparently, there isn't much about him even in the book. No, she was so egocentric and uh, I, I think so unwilling that. to give anybody else any credit for what happened. So uh, Nicole Holofcener and Jeff Whitty, who co-wrote the screenplay, they met people that knew them and uh, knew David Yanell, one of the um, co-producers who had befriended Lee Israel I think 20 years ago and spent a huge amount of time trying to persuade her to write this memoir in order to then make a movie from it. Um, so it was it was almost everything outside of the book that provided information about Jack Hawk rather than Lee Israel, who you would have thought would have been the font of knowledge about all this, but she wasn't. Mm. Did you improvise at all? I said, in the first scene that I had in the Julius Bar, where my character met Melissa, I said, Jack Hawk, big cock, um, because it's it just popped out of my head. <laughs> and when the second take came and I didn't say the two words, Mariel Heller and the script supervisor came over and said, you need to say those words again. And I said, well, they just came, it wasn't planned, it wasn't in the script. They said, we know that, but it's absolutely appropriate. If they liked that, do you then feel like you should do more improvisation? Or is No, it, because I thought the screenplay was so smart and so yeah. spare and to the point that it didn't, neither Melissa nor I felt any need to, to change or to embellish anything. Yeah, because it's been nominated for an Oscar as well, hasn't it, the screenplay? It has, yeah. So thrilled for them. It's incredible. So I just wanted to ask you lastly, because there's going to be quite a lot of 20-somethings, 30-somethings women listening. Yeah. I think everyone grew up with Spice World, the movie. Oh, yeah. And I'm so... <laughs> I know that I'm not really allowed to ask you about your other films. If, yes, of course if we're talking about this one. No, of course but, you um, can. What was that like? Because I watched that film, I'm not joking, about a hundred times when I was oh. younger. And in it, you are just so brilliant. Oh, thank you. Well, there's a connection there because Lena Dunham, I got cast in that uh, in Girls because Jenna, Jen Houston, the casting director, um, who cast Girls, obviously w- c- collaborated with Lena Dunham. And Lena Dunham knew me from Spice World, the movie. So that's how I got into that. And Jen Houston was then the person who cast me in five years later in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Was it just 
quite crazy because that was the height of Spice Girls mania yeah, as well, Yeah, it was, wasn't it was it? mostly, it felt, they improvised a lot of what they did because they're not actress, uh, actors. So, you know, we very loosely followed a very loose script and they wanted to, the producers and the director wanted to, and the Spice Girls themselves wanted to capture that, you know, that moment in their lives when they were literally on top of the world and had been the biggest thing to have broken in America as a British band um, since the Beatles. Mm. And so you're trying to keep them on some yeah. sort of leash, but they yeah. are just running around. And they were hilarious around. to work with. I just turned 40. They were all in their early 20s, and you know, they were so rambunctious and out there, and I just, I love them. Yeah, so had a brilliant great. time. Just one last question about this year, 2019. What are you excited about coming up this year? And it doesn't have to be work-related. I want the excitement of Brexit being done and dusted. That's what I want more than anything because I'm just sick to the back teeth of the ongoing param- you know, permutations of it. Final Star Wars, which I'm absolutely thrilled to be involved in, which comes out on the 19th of December. Oh. And I haven't even been allowed to tell my wife and daughter th- what character I'm playing. So exciting. Yeah, thrilled. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> Thank you Thank very you. much.